Morning, church. Morning. Merry Christmas. All right, it's January 2008. Picture it? All right, got it. Uh, the Allen family, that's us, uh, we are visiting Sanctuary Covenant Church in North Minneapolis. Uh, there's a pastor, the pastor there at the time is a guy by the name of Ephraim Smith. Ephraim is a very dynamic uh, preacher and teacher. And we were going to church that morning to hear Ephraim. Uh, I'd heard Ephraim at some other things, but I wanted to go experience his church. So we had arranged it to be able to, to go that morning. Uh, it, it was one of those park it where it lands, snowy mornings. You know, the plows hadn't quite got out, so nobody knows how to park when they don't have lines to abide by. So everyone's all over the parking lot, people in like three spots and everything. So chaos. We are able to get our kids out and get them inside this middle school and in Minneapolis, and we bring our two older kids to the Alien uh, alien Sunday School where they don't know anything, and they're kind of freaked out, but we get them to stay there and, and successfully. Uh, our two-year-old at the time, he was having nothing to do with the nursery, so he was coming to church with us in the auditorium, so we had to navigate, uh, navigate that, so we land in the auditorium, kid in tow, snowy Sunday morning. Uh, kind of like many of you are dealing with this morning, uh, getting here. So that's us. So we get settled in the auditorium. What do you do first thing you get settled? Open up the bulletin, right? Start doing the reading material. Because we were visiting too, so we were on time. <laughs> Nobody else was. <laughs> so we're reading. Uh, so we're looking at the auditorium, and it turns out that it's Hip Hop Sunday. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, actually, I did kind of know that that happened there. But uh, I'd never been to a hip-hop Sunday before, so I was kind of stoked um, to experience hip-hop Sunday. And they had two guest MCs from Detroit. I've never been to church with an MC before. Uh, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> so, so we do this, and I'm scanning down the order of service, and I'm not seeing Ephraim's name in any in any of the places of things that are going to happen in the service. We've come to hear Ephraim speak. And I get to the message part, and it's this other Kevin Farmer. I'm like, what? that's not Ephraim Smith. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like, oh, I came to Ephraim's church to hear Ephraim, and he's not even speaking. Some of you might be in this. It's like, this is Chris's church, right? What's going on? <laughs> you get to hear him do announcements. That's the best we could do this week. Um, so... So I'm there, I'm like, what? And I'm like, all right, well, we're not going to leave. We, we made it this far. We're going we're gonna to stick around, and we've got the MCs at least. So we'll, we'll go with that. Um, so they did the hip-hop church thing, and I didn't know what was happening next most of the time, but we made it through. Uh, it was engaging and worshipful and, and all this stuff. And so we, we got to the point where eventually Kevin gets up to speak. Pause on that part of the story. Subcontext. Uh, now, a word about our context at this point. I had been a youth pastor at a church for about seven years at this point. Uh, eight years at this point. And about seven years in, uh, seven year itch, uh, I had gotten where both Ann and I felt like there needed to be some sort of change within the context of what it was I was doing uh, at the church. Just felt like I, I needed to have a change. We felt like God was saying something. That, that God had stirred something in us and that it was time to have some sort of transition happen with us. And we had hoped that uh, that would happen within the context of the church that we were at. 
And we're prayerfully uh, seeking that and talking to people on the leadership team about that uh, happening. And we'd felt pretty good about it to the, to the extent that the summer before that, I turned down two jobs at other churches, other opportunities, because we felt like, you know what, this, is, this seems like the context this should happen in. Um, the, long, the short version of the long story is that it didn't happen the way that we had hoped. And in the process, uh, we felt like we had some relationships get burnt or blown up uh, in the process with people in, in the leadership team who are part of the decision-making process. Now, tangent within the tangent. Um, I, I pick my language very specifically there because often what happens when we have relationships that exist because of our combined connection to a church. So when you have a relationship with somebody because of you, you both are within a church, uh, particularly with leadership people, what often happens is when that relationship goes awry or there is some sort of pain that's caused by that relationship, what often happens is because of the pain caused by that relationship, because we associate it with the church, we say that we got burnt or hurt by the church. Anybody hear me on this? Anybody know what this happens? So I, I pick my language very specifically because that doesn't happen. The reality is us right here. We, all of us together, we are ECC. And not even really all of us, because it's the day after Christmas. Uh, but also, there were a whole bunch of people, well, there were some people here earlier uh, who are also ECC, right? For us, all to get together and blow up a relationship or hurt some people would be a pretty strategic and significant devious action on all of us, right? If we're going to hurt somebody, we need to go after it big time. Uh, that's what it means to be hurt by a church. What happened for us was we were hurt by some specific people within a specific context. And now I say that this is important is because there are a whole bunch of people wandering around <coughs> who refuse to participate in any sort of church relationship. Because they blame a church. They say, I got hurt by a church. I got burnt by a church. And they're unable to bring any sort of forgiveness about in their lives. Because the Bible consistently, frequently talks about how it is we deal with forgiveness and reconciliation within interpersonal relationships. You know, it always talks about how it is that you and I can go through a pain and a hardship and come out of that successfully and still be able to love each other and still be able to move forward. It talks about that in a number of ways. The Bible very rarely, very subtly talks about how it is we go about that larger context of dealing with systematic reconciliation and dealing with large groups of people. It's in there, but it's a lot harder to get to the root cause of. So what happens is you have a whole bunch of people walking around hurt because they never dealt with that personal Interaction. They never dealt with the fact that somebody in a church made a specific decision or didn't make a specific decision or did something or didn't do something that hurt them. It wasn't the church. It was a person or a few people, and they need to be reconciled within that. And I say that because when I hurt you, when I disappoint you, when I do something that frustrates you, be mad at me, not mad at ECC. Chew me out. 
Call me a big fat jerk. Go home and cry about it, and then let me know how much it hurt you. Because then I will be able to apologize. I'll be able to ask for your forgiveness. We'll be, you'll be able to give me forgiveness. We'll be able to work through that reconciliation process. So, uh, so that's the, the second level tangent within um, the, the thing here. So, and that one's free of charge. Um, when you get, that's the inception. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so, um, so back to the middle school auditorium, right? Remember that story I was on a while ago? Um, so here Ann and I, are in this church service, and this is all still very fresh for us. Like, these pains, these hurts, these broken relationships had all happened very close to this. So, so we're in the midst of this pain. We're very much in that place. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just hurting. Like, every day you need to put new bandages on because you need to replace the old ones. So we're in that place very much just um, dealing with that. I think you could say that we were really lost in our hurt and confusion. Like, we didn't know where we were. We didn't know what we were doing. We knew that God had begun to stir something in us and do something, uh, calling us to something new, calling us to a change, but we didn't know uh, what that was. And that's the context for us uh, when Kevin, not Ephraim, gets up to preach. Uh, and he, he read this. Uh, Matthew 14 is where I want to go uh, if you want to join me there. He got up and read this scripture, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake like you do. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Understatement. Um, it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Like you do. Uh, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I don't know if you've caught this yet because of the, the setup context here, but Sanctuary is an urban multi-ethnic church. Uh, there are Latinos, there are Asians, there are Caucasians, but the largest uh, demographic group is African Americans. And the preaching style of the church falls directly in the African American call and response uh, style of preaching. If you're unfamiliar with the call and response style of preaching, it, it goes something like this. There's an understanding between the preacher and the congregation. The preacher will establish, him or her, she, he or she will establish a call that the congregation then will respond to with a response. So it's interactive church. You're not just looking at the head behind you. You get to yell at the head behind you too. Or the head, the head the, the, you know what I'm saying. Um, so Kevin's call was this. When Jesus says, you're going to the other side of the lake, and then the congregation's response was, 
we're going to the other side of the lake. So as he's, it, it would play out and it'd go something like this. So he's up there. You ready? The morning service got this. We'll see if you guys are on. There may be storms that threaten to take our lives, but when Jesus says we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to the other side. Oh, listen to you guys. We may walk on the water, but when Jesus says we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to the other side. Uh, we may sink, overcome with fear, but when Jesus says we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to the other side of the lake. So here are Ann and I, right, in the middle of all this pain. We've been dealing with all of this. And we're sitting in this, you know, middle school auditorium. Some of you have been to church in middle school auditoriums before? We're sitting there. Ann's over here. Sam's someplace. We're sitting there dealing with all this pain. And he's talking about when Jesus calls you to the other side of the lake, you're going to the other side of the lake. She's here. I'm here. And we're both like this. Because if we look at each other, if, if an elbow bumps an elbow, we're going to be the new couple sobbing. And be like, what's wrong with them? Uh, so that's us, because as far as we were concerned at that moment, not only was Ephraim not speaking, Kevin wasn't speaking either. Jesus had showed up and was talking to us that day. Because we needed to hear that message. Because we believed that the shore that we were on wasn't the shore we were supposed to be on. That God had stirred something in us. He would called us to the other side of the lake. But we got in the boat, and when we got out there, the storm came. And we were in the midst of that storm. And we felt lost. We felt like we didn't have a direction. We didn't know what was going on. We needed to hear. We needed to hear that Jesus was with us in that, at that point. So five months later, after that point, I resigned from the church I was at without knowing exactly what was next, without having uh, a, a job lined up in the future, which I don't recommend, by the way. Just <laughs> not... Not the best. But, um, but that's where we were and what we ended up doing. And it was at that time that we ended up coming on. I ended up coming on here in a part-time capacity and at UPS and doing some school. Uh, and we knew that that wasn't a long-term solution. Like, FYI, that's not the life any of you want to live. Um, but we knew that Jesus had said we're going to the other side of the lake. So we're going to the other side of the lake. Uh, we'd left the shore, but we hadn't reached the other side Yet. Now, the reason I tell this story uh, is because living in this in-between, this point where we know that God has stirred something in us, but we haven't realized it yet, is a very common experience. A lot of us have, I'd say all of us have this experience at some point in life, and often many points in life. We live between this place where God has said and done something that moved us, but there's this time before we realize what that looks like and we come to a place of peace and arrival uh, in the future. So we live in this in-between place. That can be very, very difficult because there are storms, there's misdirections, there's ghosts walking out to you, maybe. Uh, you know, there are these things that, that we live in this difficult place. Um, I think we see this often in relationships, right? Many of us have or are in the midst of or will have you meet him or her, and you're like, dang, something stirs. <laughs> but you don't know what that means yet. Like, is, is, this, is he the one? Maybe? 
Is she ready for this type of commitment? So you live in this in-between place of how do I navigate this thing? Some of you, this in-between is about having kids, right? The marriage is good. The finances are functional. Um, you know, you feel like there's security in a job. And you're like, you know what? God seems to be stirring us. We want to have kids. But every time that test come back, it's a blue stripe. It's not a plus symbol, you know? It's like, God, what is going on? Why isn't this happening? That is an in-between. There are so many in-betweens. There can be career in-betweens, education in-betweens. I was talking to a guy after the last service. like, why is it that when you're 19, 20 years old, you make these education decisions that set the course of your life for the rest of your life? No offense to those of you who are 19, 20 years old, but that is not fair to the 40-year-old version of you, okay? <laughs> you know, it might be a ministry calling, a healing in a family relationship, a physical healing, a financial situation. There are all kinds of these in-betweens where you know that you needed to leave a shore, but you haven't arrived at the other shore yet. And now there are these storms. The front of the boat is being overwhelmed with waves. You just don't know where you are or what's going on. You're in this in-between. I want you to turn to Romans 8 with me. This, so this is the question we're faced with in the midst of these in-betweens. As we go to Romans 8. How do we live when Jesus has stirred something in us? How do we live when the thunder is rolling and the waves are crashing and, and it seems like chaos is going on all around us? How do we live through that? What does it look like to follow Jesus when we're confused and frustrated and hopeless and angry? And tired, and the last thing that seems like a reality is the other side of the lake. How do we live in those circumstances? Romans 8.31. Uh, we'll begin there. It says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? Let me define these things for you. Paul has just finished a section where he's talking about the apparent contradiction that exists between the reality of our lives, the struggles, the pains, the failures, Paul's talking about the, the contradiction between that part of life, of life is hard and it doesn't seem to be going well, and the reality and the hope of the gospel, that God is on our side. He's redeeming us. He's transforming us. How do we live in that reality, that tension between life doesn't seem like it's going well, life is very hard, but there is this hope in the gospel that the Bible talks about and we're supposed to embrace. How do we live in that in between. So you could say, as Paul's talking here, uh, you could say that what he says is that what then shall we say about re in response to living in the in-between? If I were to paraphrase Paul, I would put it this way. Uh, what then shall we say in response to living in the in-between? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all these things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can, who then can condemn? Not one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword. Let me hit pause here before we go on again. I want to point out the wide spectrum of struggle that Paul brings out here, right? 
he, he's referencing a number of things. He moves from trouble to the sword. There's an escalation of difficulty that Paul seems to be talking about here. It's, and it's not just one point. And there's also a validity to all of it. Paul doesn't say, and once you hit famine, that's when Jesus shows up. Paul says, whether it's trouble or whether it's the sword, Jesus is there with you in the midst of it. All of it is valid before God. And God is with you in each and every part of it. At no point does Paul say, this is what's important and this isn't. All of it measures up for Jesus. So he goes on. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as Paul is explaining how it is that we live in this in-between, I want to point out what Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't give us three easy steps to living in the in-between. Paul doesn't come up with a five-step program that has eight different levels to living in the in-between. Paul doesn't even come up with a clever acronym. What Paul does, what Paul's conviction is, is that being able to live in the in-between is a matter of an awareness of God's undestructible love for us. It is that love that sometimes alters our circumstances, sometimes, but always alters us. There's this danger with this, though. This sounds so cliche, right? What, what are the four answers in every Sunday school question? God, Jesus, love, sometimes Satan. Um, so we throw out that love thing and hope it sticks, right? When we're in the in-between, there's a natural tendency for our cynicism to go up. Because it's a, it's a natural response to that pain. Our cynicism, our doubt, our questioning, those levels rise. So when we hear something as simple as well, you just have to embrace God's love. It's like, oh, yeah, sure, great, fantastic. Let me do that right now. Because being in the in-between place is a painful place to be. The in-between is this place of joy-stealing, mundane life, like getting up at 3.30 in the morning to load boxes on a truck. Uh, the in-between is a place where today kind of sucks, and tomorrow doesn't seem like it's going to be any better. That's what the in-between is. So when we talk about Jesus' love, there's this natural tendency to be like, oh, okay, sure. But that's why Paul, when talking about the in-between, turns us back to the love of Jesus. Because Paul's belief is that when we embrace that love, it will breed hope in us. When we understand that Jesus is for us, that will breed hope for us. Because when Jesus says we're going to the other side of the lake, we're going to the other side of the lake. It's an understanding of that love that breeds hope. Five or six weeks ago, when the covenant brought, uh, brought Ann and I out to the Bay Area in San Francisco, um, they don't have snow there like this. <laughs> they might fall into the ocean, but what a way to go, right? Um, <laughs> so, so we were out there. 
And they ran us through this church planters assessment to see if church planting might be something uh, that God was stirring in them for us. And it's three days of interviews and counseling sessions and tests and hypothetical, analytical, role-playing situations. It's just exhausting. Three days of this. We get done with it. Saturday morning is when we get our results, when they give us their disposition toward us. It's such a clever title. Uh, so, but before they do that, they have a closing worship service and sermon. Talk about the worst audience to deliver a sermon to ever. <laughs> In the other room is all of your results about what we feel about you for the rest of your life. Well, let me talk to you for 45 minutes about Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, come on. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and the director of church planting, he was the one who was delivering the sermon. And I just want to read, the, it'll be on the screen. Let me read you what the, the, the scripture that he got up and he opened with and he read to us as we're going. It's from Matthew 8. Uh, Matthew 8, 23. That's where I'm going. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a ferocious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Three years ago, we'd sat through this sermon about going to the other side of the lake, and then we're sitting in this room, and Jesus is going to the other side of the lake again. And I'm sitting next to Anne. She's over here again. You always send them the same You must. Um, and I just leaned over and said, is this the other side of the lake? <laughs> I think she elbowed me in the ribs. Um, because when Jesus says, you're going to the other side of the lake, you're going to the other side of the lake. Their, their disposition toward us was a conditional recommendation. Uh, and by recommending us, they also had a condition. That's what that means. Um, and their condition was, because we had been on this boat for two years in the middle of the lake, uh, in this in-between, we've had a number of struggles. It's been a hard place to be for us. It has sucked a lot of life out of us individually and us as a couple and us as a family. They're like, you guys need, you guys need a year to invest in your family, to invest in your marriage, and to, to reestablish yourselves. So they recommended a year of marriage counseling for us to go through this. And here's why I, here's why I tell you this. Because there's, there's a danger for us as a congregation. Because I don't know if you know this, but you're a whole bunch of beautiful, well-put-together people. You are a fantastic audience. When we go out there for cookies, it's like, it's where all the beautiful people are, right? There's a danger in that, though. I don't know where I heard this saying, but I totally embrace it, and I think it's important for everyone. Don't judge what you know about yourself by what you don't know about someone else. Don't judge what you do know about your own weaknesses, your own failures, your own faults, by what you don't know about someone else's failures, weaknesses, and faults. Because when we go out there, when we sit in here, there's this tendency to believe that everyone is as they appear except for you. 
there's a, there's, a, there's a tendency to believe that everyone's marriage looks as good as it does in here except for yours. There's a danger to believe that everyone's children are as well behaved and as obedient as they look here when they get home. And that's just not the truth. That's not, that's not the case. We all have those brokennesses. We all have those things. And so for, for us, our marriage isn't in serious trouble. Well, sometimes. <laughs> but we need work on it. We need somebody else to intervene in it and help us navigate it. We need more of that type of confession as a community with each other. Because not everything is as it appears. And we're not going to get up here and parade everybody and say, hey, tell us your deepest, darkest. That was one of the, one of the questions they asked one of the candidates. Totally sorry, So the candidates get up, they have to do this short sermon, and then they do Q&A from the assessors. So one of these guys is up there and does a 10-minute sermon. Have you ever heard of like a 10-minute sermon? It's so hard. So he gets up there, he finishes this, they're doing the Q&A. And one of the assessors asks, tell us about one of your dark nights of your soul. <laughs> Just like, really? <laughs> he looked, he's like, uh, I don't remember what he said, because I was embarrassed for him. We're not going to do that here, right? Like, there is, there is an appropriateness we have to have when we share things in a relationship. But one of the things we need to do is move into that. We need to move into each other's lives where we're, we're getting to know each other on that level where we can recognize because there is this hope and this peace and this joy that can come from that. We're like, all right, we're not the only ones who deal with this. This is, this is something that's true. So, so that's for us. That's where we are with this. And we're still not at the other side of the lake. I'm convinced of that. We're still not at the other side of the lake. We're still in this in-between. We don't know for sure that church planting is the thing. If it is, there's still a long way for us to go on this. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of discernment that we need to do to discover if this is really what God's calling us to do. But what I do know is that nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me. Even though I'm in this place where I'm still in the middle of the lake. I'm still in this in-between. I know that there's nothing that can separate me from the love that God has for me. And I have this hope that these circumstances are only an in-between. Because Jesus said we're going to the other side of the lake. We're going to the other side of the lake. And that's my hope. That's why I share this story. Because this isn't just about me getting up here and sharing. This is about us. I believe that many of you are in the in-between. I say we all have some sort of in-between in our lives. If it's not right now, you're just in between in-betweens, right? <laughs> we all have these points where we need to know that God's love for us is indestructible. That God's love for us is with us. Jesus might have to walk out on the water to help us get to the other side of the lake, but he will. Because that's the power of the love that he has for us. He will do whatever's required to help us get to the other side of the lake. Because when he calls us to something, when he sends us across the lake, he makes sure that we arrive at the other side of the lake. Will you stand with me? I want to give, I should stand if I'm going to say stand with me. Uh, I, want to, I want to send you guys out with a benediction. Now, let me pray this, and I want you to receive this, hear it. This is for you. This isn't just about you. This is for you. So receive this. May you hear and discern the voice of Jesus.
May you know when Jesus has called you to the other side of the lake. As you live in this in-between and in every in-between, may you experience the love of Jesus that brings hope. And may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Amen. Amen? Amen. Go to the other side of the lake.